Hello friends, Michael Hubbard here with my friend Gary Goodell, and we are exploring how to do church differently in the 21st century. Permission has been granted. Gary, our last conversation, we were having a good talk about how you begin to experiment with the worship service, and uh, we heard some good topics, so I want to follow up on that. So you were talking about how you tried some different things just to uh, eliminate the space between you and the people, and... Uh, really elevate them in their place in the service. Separate from my years pastoring, Mike, as an educator, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to find out that lectures are the really, kind of probably the least effective mode of speaking or sharing or training or equipping. <clears throat> what I understood was, again, what leaders do is lead. The old Chinese proverb that if you think you're a leader and no one's following, you're merely taking a walk. You know, and so what are you leading people to? And when you begin to touch the worship gathering, touch the port parts or components of that gathering, you begin to push people to consider moving to another place. Hmm. Um, Give me an example of that. Well, for example, when you take the pulpit, and guys, we've tried it all. It's nothing new under the sun. You can t even take a large church, a mega church, and you can preach, do it for a while, then stop, tell everybody to turn to their neighbor and discuss it, get feedback from them. There's a lot of ways you can begin to affect change in small little steps. Mm -hmm. But if you are convinced that that kind of touch would cost you too much, that's where you're gonna have to choose what hill to die on. Right. If finances are going to be affected with changes you're making, because you're gonna make some, more, some people more happy, make some people more sad, until you get in touch with that reality, what are you doing? Back to my question. What would you do differently with your church if it didn't involve money? Hmm. If you knew that it couldn't fail? Yeah, right. Some of your dreams are out there, but you're never going to get them till you go after them. So when we kind of teamed up, I mean, we'd known each other, done some things, but uh, I had stepped out of full-time pastoring, was selling bikes, still had a hand in doing worship and ministry and uh, you you had shifted from sunday nights to saturday nights and the the church the service itself changed and so why don't you talk about that for a second we extend it to more worship oriented well i mean you guys know why we meet sunday mornings it's it's a couple thousand year old tradition <laughs> it's interesting when you study the book of acts and you study church history, the church grew the most. It was most prolific, prolific, whatever you want to call it, during the first 300 years <clears throat> without buildings. Mm -hmm. So here's one thing we found out. We were, we've always rented buildings, different size buildings. We found out that we could rent it on Saturday night, rent a large room, as easily on Sunday morning. Did we lose some people? Yes. Did we gain some people? Yes. 
So eventually we went to twice a month, then once a month with small groups integrated throughout that chain. Took us years, years to grow to that point where I felt we're doing at least, we're at least doing church with these changes, what appears to be more effectively. Well, the goal, as we had talked about, was to, we were frustrated that we felt like so much ministry was focused on us or the, or the paid clergy, and, but it wasn't happening among the laity as much. We wanted to push ministry out towards them, which requires people to be take responsibility for the Christian experience. Talking about that for a second. I mean, yes, we as ministers have to be willing to let go, give people permission, if you will, but they also have to be responsible for their own uh, lives, for their own spiritual walk. We encourage people to have meals together, to have their neighbors over for a meal, and see what happens inside that. We realize many of my believer friends in the gathering would admit that they were bilingual. They spoke English and Christianese, <laughs> and how that that is so foreign to people outside our box. Uh-huh. Part of it for me, again, was going back to the fact I was going to lose my adrenaline surge on Sunday morning in my sermon. I'll tell you how bad it got. I was doing a conference with pastors in Canada, and I presented to them a challenge. I said, do you guys realize the number one ingredient in our classic evangelical church gathering (coughs) is the sermon? And that the word sermon is not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament. Got real quiet in the room. Finally, from the back of the room, this guy's old guy shouted, liar. <laughs> I said, what do you mean, sir? He goes, what about Sermon on the Mount? And everybody chuckled. I said, that's not text. That's inserted margins or description of the next segment. Teaching or preaching is in the scripture. The krigma. And the idea that teaching is actually an interaction between two people on the same subject. So, for example... If you you look at Jesus' example, just much of his discourse with the disciples is walking, talking, sharing, spur of the moment, mentoring in the moment. Yeah, technically... Jesus was peripatetic. Mm -hmm. He taught as he walked. Mm -hmm. So most pastors, if you ask the question, um, who are you making disciples out of? They may throw it off. Oh, I have hundreds of people, three services on the weekend. So I'm not talking about the crowd. If you can't give me a name and a Starbucks that you're meeting at weekly, you're not making (laughs) disciples. Most discipleship, Pastors are too busy doing those all those other little things. Yeah. See, we're touching the sacred cow, Gary. We're touching the Word of God. We're not saying we're, we're, we love the Word of God. We're just saying the means of how it gets delivered and its effectiveness. Oh, exactly. In fact, the, the seeker-sensitive movement that came out of Chicago years ago, the guy who started that movement indicated, he said, what we didn't consider doing with the next generation 
is we didn't make them, as it comes to the Word of God, we didn't make them self-feeders. Here's an interesting dynamic. Is your job as a shepherd, pastor, is it to eat the food for the sheep, or is it to lead them to where (coughs) the best food is found? Yeah. So that's the difference. I mean, it's, it's repulsive to me to consider the fact that I eat it and the, like a, a baby bird, you dip into my, my mouth and eat what I already worked on this week. Yeah. You know, I love, I love Graham's story, too, where he talks about his job as a prophet isn't to prophesy to everybody. His job is to teach people how to hear for God for themselves. Totally. And I, I can attest to that. When Graham came and did the conferences we helped sponsored in San Diego, he left a residue. I mean, uh, one of the ways I noticed is on Facebook, people were quoting things Graham said, and people were sharing it, which led me to believe they were thinking about it, meditating on it. So the mark of a real leader is not what you give people, which which you leave behind and what they can carry themselves. Right. So in in your example, are people hungry for the Word of God? Are they spending time in the Word of God on their own? Are they meditating? Are they praying? Are they growing? Have they learned to feed themselves? Or are they dependent upon that magical Sunday sermon? Well, well, here's we, here we are, Mike. That's what the pandemic has taught us. There may be people not coming back to the weekend gathering. Watch out, watch out. <laughs> what they are doing is they're also doing, doing more work in terms of their own faith. Yeah. Spending more time with their family. Yeah. Spending time with their neighbors. There's, ha- there's church... On the front nine, you know, yeah. it's just magical. Yeah. yeah. Once you release the saints yeah. to uh, enjoy God. Again, I just want to reassure our friends: we're we're not against the Sunday gathering. It's what 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 bothers us if that becomes the whole diet of many people. It's what happened to me. It's the mark of a church: is what are your people doing Monday through Saturday? Exactly. You know, you can have a great time. I I told one church the other day, some friends of ours, I was ministering there. And as we started the service, uh, she began to tell me, well, Mike, gosh, I apologize. The crowd's not as big as it usually is. And then she said, well, this one couple, they're off doing ministry here, and this other family's doing this. And right. She didn't have three or four things, and one's out on a missions trip. I'm going, touchdown. Exactly. I mean, one of the marks, I think, of a good church could be that their seats are empty, that people are out doing stuff instead of just sitting there. You know, I, I, I'd make a distinction between leaders. Are you collecting people or are you releasing them? That's a good distinction. You need to ask that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Are they better equipped? Right. Are they more motivated? But it'll, that'll be upon your ability to catch and release, not to collect. Right. So in America, the problem is that bigger is better. Yeah. And when it comes to discipleship, it, that may not be the case. You know, that's, that was, was the driving force for me, being an American kid, being an athlete, be just everything my my life was marked by success my life you know early days did we win did i hit a home run did we you know how did i play well and all that just transferred into the to church it was my church growing uh nickels and noses you know exactly and when i couldn't hit that mark uh i became depressed and discouraged but it was that that pushed me to say there's got to be more and uh, that's when I ran into you and we explored together and some, some good things have come out of that. No. You have to set the measurement at ultimately. Um, is your goal a bigger gathering? 
multiple gatherings on the weekend? Or are you committed to relational Christianity and mobilizing people, right. mobilizing the full potential of the priesthood of all believers? That's, right. That's a big price. That's a big price. Good stuff. Well, a lot of our talks come out of this book, Permission Granted to Do Church Differently. And uh, we're exploring ideas. We don't have all the answers. We're just asking, hopefully, some good questions. And uh, if we're stirring your conscience, maybe even making you a little bit mad, maybe that's a good thing, just to ask some questions. Uh, you can go to our website, thirddaychurches.com. There's a place for you to ask questions. There are no questions that aren't allowed. Um, we're, like I said, we're just exploring together. We're on a journey together, people. And we are just asking God for his fullness, his best. That requires change, and we're in that process. Gary, thanks. Good to be you with you again, my, bud. You got we'll it, be buddy. back again. Thank God bless. You.